Welcome everyone to today's Autistic Moment, a podcast for autistic adults by an autistic adult. My name is Philip King Lowe. I am the owner, producer, and host, and I am an autistic adult. Thank you so very much for listening. Today's Autistic Moment is a member of the Autistic Podcasters Network. Please consider joining the Autistic Podcasters Network on LinkedIn. Today's Autistic Moment is a free podcast that gives autistic adults access to important information, helps us learn about our barriers to discover the strengths and tools we already have to use for the work of self-advocacy. This first segment of today's Autistic Moment is sponsored by the Autism Society of Minnesota, Minnesota's first autism resource. For over 50 years, the Autism Society of Minnesota has been honored to support Minnesota's autism community. Visit them online at ausm.org. Thank you for joining me for this episode, Self-Care After Autistic Diagnosis Identification. My guests are Becca Lori Hector, Carol Jean Whittington, and Dr. Scott Frassard. Please visit todaysautisticmoment.com where you can listen to the podcast, get transcripts, program updates, and read the guest bios pages. Please visit the Future Shows page with the titles, guests, and descriptions of all the shows coming up through October. The transcripts are sponsored by Minnesota Independence College and Community. The transcripts can be read and followed from the website. There is a link provided to get access to a document form of the transcript that you can print it so it won't use up the ink on your printer. The written document transcript has a font that is accessible for dyslexics. While visiting the website, please consider supporting the work of today's Autistic Moment with a financial donation or purchase an item from the Logo Shop. Please follow Today's Autistic Moment on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Want to chat with me and other listeners? Join today's Autistic Moment community group page on Facebook. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel at Today's Autistic Moment to watch any episode of Autistic Voices Roundtable Discussions. One of my favorite games that I play on my iPad is Atari's Roller Coaster Tycoon Touch. The player gets to build an amusement park. They pack the park full of rides, food stands, shops, decorations, and roller coasters. My main park has seven roller coasters. Each roller coaster is unique in its materials, types, colors, intensity, and how much fun each could be. The thing about roller coasters is that the decision to ride one needs to be made carefully. Before choosing to ride on on a roller coaster, we need to think about if the particular roller coaster is one that we can handle. Is our health in a position to take all of the fast movements, the sudden turns, big hills, loops, and more importantly, the loss of control? 
Once the decision is made to board the train to take the roller coaster ride and the attendant pushes the go button, you can no longer make the decision to get off until the ride is over. Everything that happens while on that roller coaster ride is out of your control. You might have fun, you will probably scream, possibly cry, and possibly get sick. The difference between the roller coasters you can ride in an amusement park and the emotional roller coasters of life is that sometimes you can choose to ride them and sometimes what happens is out of your control. I am using the analogy of roller coasters because you will hear my guests and I talk about the emotional roller coasters that we had after we were diagnosed and identified as autistic. Many late identified autistics talk about what their lives were like before and what happened shortly thereafter they were diagnosed or identified. There comes a moment of clarity in that we understood the things in our past that we and others had questioned for a long time. There are moments when we grieve the many mistakes we made and the loss of relationships we, we cannot recover for one reason or another. We may feel anger. We may tell someone at work that we are autistic and lose the job. An autistic diagnosis identification can cause relationships to become stronger or they might end. Once you are diagnosed identified, you may hear people you have known for a long time being dismissive and invalidating. They may say things like, you don't look autistic, you're an adult, you're too smart, you have a job, you don't act like my five-year-old niece or nephew with autism. You may have been diagnosed identified for many years and you are still hearing comments like the ones I just mentioned. On this episode of Today's Autistic Moment, we are going to validate you. We are going to let you know that the emotions you may experience are real, they are yours, you have a right to exist as you are. We will not make any value judgments on your behavior or preferences. My guests and I are going to share our experiences after being diagnosed, identified, and how we have been managing our self-care. Your experiences may be very similar or completely different. Whatever your experiences are, you need to do your own self-care. We are going to give you some ideas as to how to do that. After this commercial break, Becca, Carol Jean, and Scott will join me to tell you about our experiences after autistic diagnosis identification. Please stay tuned.
Today's autistic moment can be downloaded and heard on most podcast apps, including Apple, Google Play, Breaker, Castbox, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Audible, Castro, Overcast, Player FM, Podcast Addict, Podcast Chaser. If you are looking for the transcript, go to todaysautisticmoment.com, click on the episode you want to listen to, and follow the directions to find the transcript. Thank you for listening to Today's Autistic Moment. Hello, autism community. My name is Lisa Morgan. I'm an autistic adult too, and I know firsthand what it feels like to be unintentionally harmed by well-meaning professionals when reaching out for help. My passion is to help autistic people find and use their own unique strengths to help themselves. Are you rule-based, a literal thinker, have a focused interest? Let's figure out together how to use the strengths of autism to find solutions. I offer life coaching for autistic adults and individualized workshops for professionals. To find out more, go to autismcrisissupport.com. Welcome back, everybody, and I'm so glad we're here talking about this one particular topic. Uh, Self-care after autistic diagnosis identification. Um, I have been inspired for a long time to do something about this because I remember my first year, my first years after diagnosis, what uh, tumultuous time that was for me. And I know each of us have had our own experiences with that. Um, you know, for me, those first months, those first days was filled with every emotion I can imagine. I was crying. I was angry. I was happy. I was glad, relieved, all of those things. And um, I think every autistic might know something about that. Um, and so I want us to really have this great conversation. And, uh, you know, the great part about this conversation is that there's four of us each of us with our unique experience, and <clears throat> which, which is great because of the diversity among autistic people and our diagnoses or identifications, whichever words they like to use. So before, uh, a little different from my usual first question here, um, talk a little bit, each of you, please, about um, just a tad bit about what your life was like before you were diagnosed, your, your, your experience of being diagnosed and the, and the time that followed. What were some things that you experienced that um, you would like others to just be aware of? We'll start with Becca, go ahead. 
Um, I my very first real reaction to it um, was honestly, I told you so. And that feels like a crazy reaction, right? But I feel like I had spent, well, I had, I had spent my whole life up until that point. So for 36 years, I lived on this planet going, listen, I'm different. Listen, something's not right. Listen, I don't understand why this doesn't work. Why am I not like everyone else? What, like so many parts, right? Like for my entire life. Um, and when I got my diagnosis, not even right before that, when I self-discovered, I want to say even, um, in that moment, I was like, oh, right. There was that relief and validation of my experiences. And when I got that official diagnosis, I was like, man, I want to stand on a rooftop and just be like, world, I told you so, right? Like I told you, I told you, I told you, I told my teachers, I told my parents, right? Um, so much of that was my first emotional response. Um, it was just so freaking validating to my experience mm -hmm. that I was, had, you know, never been validated, right? It was why my self-esteem was so low. Um, and at that point in my life, when diagnosis came in, you know, when autism entered my life, um, I was three years homebound and suicidal. I had plans. I had, you know, the whole deal. I was really, really close. And so I say a lot autism saved my life and it did. Um, I know I would be dead right now if it didn't come into my life at that particular time. Um, and so there was a lot of gratitude that went with the diagnosis too, like weirdly and an and, um, because man, right. It really did save my life. So it was a really emotional time. I want to say it was like, um, that first year is very much was an emotional roller coaster for me. Yeah. Good, Carol. What was it like for you? Good, Carol. Okay. <laughs> All right. So in so many different ways and so many similar ways to what Becca just shared, um, my friend Diane J. Wright of Autastic has a group on Facebook called Surprise, You're Autistic. I was truly surprised because I was 39 and 10 months old. So I was almost four decades into living and believing that I was just a failure, that I wasn't living up to my potential, that all of the things that people said because I was had an exceptionally high IQ and I seemed to be so good at so many things and really excelled, but then the things that were really obvious like everybody else did and it was no big deal, I struggled with and the things that they struggled with that they didn't struggle with, I struggled with. Um, so when I sat in an identification with a neuropsychologist for my son, who was 10 at the time, and I'd been reading the parent questionnaire, you know, for these several weeks we had been practicing, and he had said, hey, what do you think about those questions? And I was like, well, I don't really think much of anything about them. They make sense to me. And as I was reading them, you know, and so that was sort of maybe the only thing he'd asked. And we were going through the process of here's the report and all of the information. But mm -hmm. as we were getting the results for my son and they were telling me, you know, yes, he is autistic. And these are the things that he's he's going to need additional help with and occupational therapy and, and things like that. And he looks at me over his little half glasses, salt and pepper hair and his little sport coat. And he says, you know, you are missed. And in my very literal thinking brain, I said, no, I wasn't. I'm right here. Nobody missed me. 
<laughs> he just kind of smiled and nodded his head and he says, you need to come back and see me. And so he goes on about the business and goes for about 10 more minutes. And all of a sudden a penny dropped and I stopped and I looked at him. I said, wait a minute, are you saying I'm autistic? And he said, see the receptionist on the way out. <laughs> you need to come see me. <laughs> and so in a lot of ways, I, it, like Becca said, she'd been telling the world, like, I told you so. And for me, it was, I had lived and had agreed to and had taken on the identity that I was just a failed human. So the possibility of there being something that answered why life had been so hard did not come into my purview for until someone said, hey, you know, you were missed. <laughs> and that changed my life. But instead of embracing that and going, let me figure what, out what this is, as the mom in that situation, my approach was, if I am autistic too, and I know how hard and how much I have struggled, I wanna make sure I do everything for my child. So I poured everything for the next two years into making sure he had everything that I didn't have. And at the end of that two years, I hit the worst burnout of my life. And what I call those five lever levels of spicy burnout, I hit that ghost pepper level five. I was so hot, I was not. And my body shut down. And I was in this place that I either didn't want to be anymore or I was going to figure it out. And with two small children that I absolutely adore, I chose I needed to figure it out. And having that understanding that there was just something I didn't know. There was a piece of information that I had not had to that point. My life, for the first time, I had just turned 49. I am in a place that I never imagined even possible. Even when I thought there was a possibility, I still couldn't dream as big as what the reality has been. And that is... I have sustainable energy every day. I am happy. I am, I feel free. I feel me. I feel unmasked. I feel unveiled. I feel fully grounded in the person I was created to be. And I'm showing up every day living my best life that I knew. I knew it was mine. I just didn't know how to get it because I believed all of the things externally. And that identification did come with that same processing phase that I call, you know, like what so many of us, it, the relief, the elation, and like, oh my God, there's a reason, there's an answer. And then the grieving phases that we go through because it, we go through the, what would have been possible? What if, what would have happened? What could have been avoided? All of the hurt, all of the trauma, all of the things at this point and after we go through that, we reach this place of like, well, okay, now I'm learning some stuff. And I recognize that, you know, now I've learned about masking and camouflaging, masking to the professional level of camouflaging. How do I start peeling those off? And we do those first couple layers pretty easily. And we get to this place after a few of those where we get down a little bit in that onion. And we're like, well, wait a minute, I have no idea who I am. Because we never had the opportunity to explore that. And that's, that's where the beauty begins in my book. Yeah. Scott, you're next. Wow. How can I 
<laughs> contribute to anything different. Both of your experiences um, resonated with me. Um, I, I also grew up feeling very different uh, from the rest of the world, things that made sense to others, particularly around um, uh, communication, especially, and how the world just seems to talk in generalities or talking around things versus just coming straight out and say this. Um, it just, I, I, I felt perpetually confused and didn't know why. And I wasn't very good in school. And I think that played a, a big role in it. Though I, I did have a huge interest uh, in jewelry making uh, in high school and really, re really put myself into that and um, enjoyed it immensely. I wasn't formally identified until I was 48. And all that time through all my professional uh, career and the jobs that I had, it, I felt like I never could reach others' expectations in a large part of what I did. And at other times just flat out exceeded everybody's expectations. That in and of itself was very confusing. <clears throat> but it wasn't until my wife and I were watching uh, this uh, one season TV show um, called The Employables. And it was a reality show that followed um, neurodivergent people through their process of trying to find employment. And every time they spotlighted an autistic person, I just resonated with them. I'm like, I totally get it. The other folks, like there are people that were Tourette's or, um, and I can't remember uh, some of the others, those didn't quite resonate with me, but the autistics did. And I, I, found, my, I found myself searching on the internet. And of course, at that point, I, I don't know the difference between the, the voice of the autistic community and the voice of the larger community and what to believe and what not to believe. I'm like, maybe I am. So I, I, it took a bit of time to find somebody in my area who would evaluate an adult. But I did, I found that. And it took a, a few months to go through everything and get the results. And probably like everyone else, it was a roller coaster of emotions. Um, I, I heard, you know, like Becca said, I told you. <laughs> and uh, the surprise that Carol Jean said, what? Um, I, I went through all those emotions. And I remember leaving the, the um, psychologist's office, having this overwhelming uh, feeling of, happiness even though I was crying my eyes out um, and I it changed the formal identification changed my life because it gave me answers to and an explanation for my world my worldly experiences and that there was nothing wrong with me I'm just in a world that doesn't cater to me and um, that was a really empowering uh, uh, realization. And since then, I, I've really 
I, I gone deep into learning everything I can from every possible perspective I can about autism, why some people believe things and not others. And I, I, I kind of lost my, my train of thought here. So forgive me for that, but it's one of those things, it's changed my life for the better because now I'm able to share experiences and why learning that I'm autistic is such a critical part of, of who I am and understanding myself and why I believe that should happen for others as well. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I can identify with all of you regarding your thoughts and experiences and without going into a long explanation of it. But um, in 1994, I did something that I was told I would never do. I graduated from a college with a bachelor's degree. Actually, it was a bachelor's degree in church music with an applied concentration in organ. Um, I was a professional church organist, uh, music director. I actually played my last public recital on September 10th, 2006 in the gallery organ of St. Patrick's Cathedral, New York City. Um, the thing is, is that during those years, I had gone in and out so many jobs and having such, so many social problems and problems just talking with my superiors and coworkers and volunteers and everything. And I had no idea why that was until one day I was working with a psychiatrist who said, who asked me then, when we were still using the word Asperger's, we are really not using that word anymore, but she had asked me, have you been evaluated for it? And I said, no. Well, within a few months, I had finally been tested by my, my the, the person who evaluated and diagnosed me named Mark Foster. He retired, had the gosh darn nerve to retire in 2017. And so, and after that, I understood why there were things that I did in my childhood. I understood why there were the issues with communication, job retention, everything. And I went through a period of four years of realizing that the career I once loved is gone because I can't recover many of those relationships. I had to accept that those relationships were gone. And so it wasn't until I discovered the Autism Society of Minnesota in late 2017 that I felt like I was completely and totally isolated alone. I didn't know any other people but myself who were. And once I found the Autism Society of Minnesota and discovered that there are people like me and that the Autism Society of Minnesota offers skill shops and they actually offered a wonderful class for Jason and I to learn how to communicate with each other and so many great things I learned. I kept thinking to myself, I wonder who else has access to information like this. And so um, in the year 2020, uh, that's what uh, spurred me to begin today's autistic moment when I realized, okay, there's a lot of information that autistic adults don't have. Maybe I can come up with a way by which we can, we can change that. But there is a period of the emotional roller coaster ride that Scott was talking about. There are those moments when you just feel like you're lower than a snake's shadow. There's moments when you feel higher than, than the kite flying. You know, you feel all those emotions. And sometimes 
you feel them all at once. Sometimes they're all separately. And one other thing that I like to acknowledge is that that can occur. Not only does our perception of ourselves change, but also the perception of us with many of people who are around us, that also changes. After this next commercial break, I will talk with Becca, Carol Jean, and Scott about a survey that was completed by 26 different autistic adults and why being autistic is an identity. adult who would like to make a difference in the life of an autistic teen? The Autism Mentorship Program is now accepting applications from autistic adults living in Minnesota who would like to mentor autistic youth during the 2023-24 school year. Designed by autistic adults for autistic teens, the Autism Mentorship Program matches mentors and mentees with similar interests in one-to-one -one mentoring relationships. Every week from October to May, mentors meet with their mentee in a structured Zoom meeting for an hour to talk, play games, and connect. All participants receive training and ongoing support in an inclusive community that celebrates diversity. We invite you to share your lived experience and help an autistic team know that they're not alone. Visit www.autismmentorshipprogram.org for more information and apply now. Life managing you, or are you managing your life? Do you want to find more peace in your life? For many of our clients, self-care is a key to success. Skill building and feedback is essential for self-care. Looking Forward Life Coaching helps provide structure through our person-centered approach that has demonstrated growth for many of our clients. If you or a loved one needs help with structure and strategies around self-care, please visit us at www.lookingforwardlc.org, email us at info at lookingforwardlc.org, or call us at 612-504-7414. Self-care and resiliency can help you weather the storms of life. Looking Forward Life Coaching helps change stumbling blocks of life into stepping stones toward success. Visit the logo shop on todaysautisticmoment.com to buy a 16-ounce drinking cup and or a label pin with the logo of Today's Autistic Moment on them. Enjoy your favorite beverage in a clear cup while you tell others about how much you are enjoying Today's Autistic Moment. Put the lapel pin on your jacket, shirt, blouse, or gym bag to help start a conversation about the important work that Today's Autistic Moment is doing for autistic adults and their caregivers. Please consider making a financial contribution or as little as $1 or more 
please click on the menu option to support today's autistic moment. Thank you for listening to today's autistic moment. Support for today's autistic moment comes from Best Care Home Care Agency. Best Care offers PCA choice, homemaking, and 245D services throughout the metro and greater Minnesota. Visit their website, bestcaremn.com, to learn more about their services. Um, one of the things I want us to talk about is that I sent out a survey to 26 different autistic individuals and asked them about their experiences with being diagnosed or identified. And we got some pretty amazing answers, including one that suggested that the majority of those who were diagnosed were about 27 given the fact that one of you was diagnosed at 36, the other one at 48, me at the age of 43, and uh, Carol, you said 39, is that about right? Okay, so I'm interested in that. And then I'm also interested in things such as those who were evaluated by a medical professional versus those who, and those who are self-diagnosed. I'm also very interested and the fact that we got a majority of people who said they were both diagnosed and identified. There's so many pieces in this that are absolutely incredible. And so I'd like to know, um, you know, to all of you, when you saw this, this, the results of this survey, what might that have told you? Um, um, Becca, why don't you start? And then again, we'll go through um go to carol and then scott go ahead becca wow this so this thing it's kind of a loaded thing for me right so right half of this looking at, at these results and thinking about this question um is historical for me and and that sounds weird but i've been doing this for over 10 years right i've been advocating for quite a long time and when i started self-identification was not a valid option to people um, when I started, we were only acknowledged if we got clinical diagnosis. Um, and that's a problem, right? That was a problem, right? And it's a problem that's that's moving, right? And there are reasons for that that caused a lot of us to advocate. Um, many people do not still to this day have access to clinical diagnosis because it's too mm -hmm. expensive. It's not covered by insurance. It only exists in English, right? Um, and any number of other um, systemic 
barriers that keep people from a diagnosis, right? And it's out of those systemic barriers that we developed deep respect for self-identification, right? Yep. That's where that love came from, right? So seeing, mm. you know, more and more people self-identify confidently, right? Makes me smile as an advocate. Mm. Like, we got somewhere, right? So I feel like, all right, right? But the piece of it that I love more than anything is that piece that says identified and diagnosed because it means we've made even further strides in advocacy than I ever imagined. It hmm. means that we are safely in that zone where being autistic is being seen as an identity and that's separate from the conversation of diagnosis. And right. that to me is like goosebumpy. Like I have goosebumps talking about it right now mm. because I'm one of those people that answered, identified and diagnosed, right? My reasons for diagnosis um, would not stand up to my own logic today. And I want you to know that, right? I would not go through the diagnostic process again right now if the choice came to me. Okay. I did it because back then, A, my mental health was so bad so bad, my self-esteem so poor that even if I believed 100% that I was autistic, I needed validation from the outside world. I needed that, right? So that was one piece for me. And the other piece is I lived in New York at the time. So I was surrounded by, I was accessible to me to get a diagnosis. So I could. Um, and I also, at that time, again, I, I knew it was going to impact my life so hugely that my reason for medical diagnosis was that I wanted that piece of paper for somebody. I thought at that time it would get me something, right? And that's not true, right? And so that's that's what that survey is to me. It's that big to me, right? It, mm -hmm. It's a guide to me that I'm as an advocate, I haven't wasted 10 years, right? Um, and I love that. And thank you guys for answering. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Carol. I'm going to keep it short and brief because I know that my friend Scott has got some beautiful insights on this one. <laughs> oh, it, I mean, Becca, I'm over here like cheering so loudly. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, I, I wasn't seeking medical diagnosis or external validation because I was clueless. I just thought I was broken and struggling. And the fact that truly that, that gentleman that day gave me that gift. I am so grateful for because it has changed my life. It saved my life, literally saved my life. I, like Becca, am a huge advocate and have been advocating for many years, moving away from the broken medical model deficit that is out there and the broken narrative, as I call it, because this is an identity, this is an experience. I am not less than what has been established as the status quo. I am already whole and I am not broken. I am full and complete just as I am, just as all of us are. So for me, I don't even use diagnosed anymore. I just say I am autistic. I identify as autistic because I'm looking to change the language from branding and marketing because that's a lot of what we're doing in advocacy. Um, but that that's sort of my take on it. And I'm going to defer the rest of my time to my friend, Scott. <laughs> Thank you so much, Carol Jean. Um, it's, it's interesting because my first career was in the medical field. I spent 22 years as a paramedic. That's all I knew was everything medical. 
and what little bit I did know about autism, it was all of that pathological language stuff that we hear. And coming from a medical field, the word diagnosis has a very um, definitive meaning. And at first I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I embrace the fact that I am autistic, but I also was in that weird gray area of still the medical uh, perspective. And I, I would say I, I was diagnosed as being autistic. I have autism. I use those terms. And then as I really learned from uh, those in the community, especially Becca and Carol Jean, uh, once I, I got to see your work and it really started resonating, I was like, wow, you know what? Um, I'm seeing a difference. So for me, I, I kind of have a couple thoughts here. One is that being diagnosed and being what, what I say formally identified, that's my language for I was diagnosed, are synonymous. And it really comes down to the whole language preference and that's fine. But then I also see this other side of things like Carol Jean was talking about is autism is also an identity. And at first I didn't buy into it, but when I started looking at things through that cultural lens, there are things that are very unique about us, especially in how we relate to one another, uh, relate to the world around us, and even our, our own selves, but especially those externally. Um, the, the idea of autism as an identity, I really came to light and was like, yeah, so I have been formally identified. I have been diagnosed, but I also embrace this identity of I am autistic. I can't be separated from it. It's an integral part of everything that I am, that I do, that I experience. So that is truly an identity. So hopefully I did not wander too far off of your question, but um, I, those, those are the thoughts that I have. Yeah, you know, and you, you, were, you were involved in my very first Autistic Voices Roundtable discussion where we talked about identity language all of whom said that they embraced the identity first language. And that was just such an excellent conversation that you were part of. And, and yeah, I, I totally agree. The one statistic in this, in this survey that actually makes me very proud and happy is the one with it where 65.4% answered the question that yes, it was easy to get learn information about being autistic after your diagnosis or identity that made me so happy now that tells me that carol and you and me and, and and other podcasters we're making progress we're doing some things good things that's what that tells me as for the rest of the world well we can't speak for them but our podcast yeah we're doing something some good stuff but um the thing is is that what that tells me is that people who, when they're diagnosed or identified, take your pick, we're not just settling for the one-time identification or the diagnosis. We want more information about how this identity and what this means for us. And people are finding what they want to find. That's some of the best news I've heard from this, this, whole, um, this whole survey. And... Uh, 
you know, thank you to the 26 people who, re who replied. What I want to do now is let's move into the self-care because that's really what this entire conversation is about. Um, and each one of us did some things to do our own self-care. And um, Becca and I have had numerous conversations about self-care. I'm going to say it, you know, Becca's one of my, my go-to people about self-care because um, Becca talks about it so well. But as, as Becca and I have said on numerous occasions, everybody has the right and need to do your own self-care and everybody's self-care is going to look different. And so I want us to talk, up, talk about that self-care. Um, and then as we talk through this, I especially want to focus on one of those, that one response that I spoke with you about before we started. But first I want to talk about how we do our own self-care. And this is where I'm going to start. And then I'm going to let all of you proceed with your answer. And that is, I want to start with a message to the caregivers, because I think that's probably the more important piece. There are many times in which our caregivers are needed, but there is probably no time that our, our caregivers are needed as it is after we've been diagnosed or identified because of a huge roller coaster ride we go on. And I know that our self, our, 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 excuse me, our caregivers love to try to protect us. They like to try to be there for every little moment. And I want to start by saying this is a moment where whatever you think you know or understand, you need to set that aside and let your autistic loved one guide you as to what they need. Um, because um, we are on a on a period of self-exploration, self-understanding like we probably never had. And so what we need our caregivers to do is to do some standing back, come in when we ask you, you know, tell it, you might point something out to us, but in the end, you need to leave it to the autistic individual to let you know what they need from you, okay? And uh, let me just say, I had a blessing that I wish everybody would have. When I was diagnosed, the very first thing my therapist said to me, I wanna work with you and your husband because you are the people that communicate most. And I wanna help you learn how to communicate with this new thing, this new thing, this new identity within yourself. So let's start with that. And, and Becca, start out because this is such important, so important that we communicate about doing our self-care. Go ahead, Becca. Um, my thoughts on self-care with diagnosis are surround really the first year. Um, for me, I find that it was the most challenging. Um, and <laughs> I find it to be across the board for folks that that's the most challenging. And I think it's because it's, a, you know, it's an entire reroute of your identity. Right. And we all go through kind of a similar process when it happens. Right. We go, oh, OK, now I have this in my life. And we first have that moment of celebration and joy and relief and the thing, all of the feelings we talked about, the surprise, all of that. Right. Um, but after that, we do like, OK, so now what? Right. So now I have this information. What do I do with it? Um, and that's where the self-care piece comes in, because a lot of what you end up doing that first year is very um, isolating. It's a very lonely part of the journey. 
It's, um, and it's a real emotional roller coaster. It's like the opposite of what we like. So instead of having really, really like ordinary days that follow the same routine, that we feel the same way, if we do the same things, right? We have a lot of, you know, roller coaster of that instead of um, that smooth sailing. And that's hard for us in a lot of different ways. Right. Um, so in that process, we need to find self-kindness. And I, I think that's where um, I always ask people to begin. Right. We need a lot of forgiveness in there for self. We are going to think about some really painful things. We are going to review our lives in that first year. Um, and you look for the autism everywhere. Was that me? Was that everyone else? Was that the autism? Um, did I make a bad choice there because of the autism? Um, did I do this because of the autism? And then you start seeing it in all the people around you. Oh, that person over there has autism. This that betcha that person's autistic, right? And you see it, and you can't help. You cannot get away from it for that first year. So in there, you need to do some great effort to balance. So there's the piece of self care that is the work right? There's the processing all of these thoughts. There's the um, going to seek a therapist or going to seek a coach or going to do some mindfulness or meditation or whatever activity, right, that you choose, right? There's that piece. Um, but then there's also the time when you're sitting still or when you're tired or when it's an especially hard day or whatever, where you have to go back to like basics and remember to rest, remember to eat right, remember to shower, right? Um, and to figure out what parts of those things, right, work for you and don't. And so there's a lot of experiment yeah. in there, right? Yeah. And so that's yeah. what I, I think about, about self-care, mm -hmm. is, is those two pieces and how important they are in that first year. Yeah. And before Carol jumps in here, I want to say that this is one of those things that's, that's, that occurred to me after diagnosis and the years that followed is that was a, the period of time where I was becoming aware of uh, sensory mm -hmm. processing. And there were so many things in my life that I didn't realize were affecting me that had been for many, many years. Yep. Why I couldn't digest certain foods, why there were certain colors that bothered me, why there were certain smells that just made me sick to my stomach. And in fact, I'll say this, during those years that I was, I was discovering my sensory processing, they were actually getting more intense, not less intense, mm -hmm. because now I noticed them, right? Yeah. yeah, right. And you forget how many years you spend. So you don't even realize how much effort and energy and years you spend ignoring, like how much exactly. effort to turn yep. it off, right? Absolutely. And, um, yep. In that anger, you almost want to do the reverse. Like in those moments of frustration that it took so long to know that, you almost want to be like, no noise. No one can make a peek in front of me. Nobody can make a light on. Nobody, right? You almost want to go the other way because of our black and white, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it, yeah. And you're going to have people who will tell you that didn't used to bother you before. Right. I'm like, well, it does now. <laughs> so that sort of thing, you yeah. know, go ahead, Carol. Well, we're totally in my wheelhouse when we're talking about this <laughs> because for most of us, we come to our identification late in life because we are overwhelmed. We are exhausted. Yes. We have reached mm -hmm. this place where we have hit probably the rock bottom of our mental and emotional experience to date. And for so many of us, that, what leads, that is what leads us to the gift of our identification, sadly. And what I talk about 
and help people realize is that most often that is when you have hit the worst burnout of your life. Because burnout is essentially consistent unmet needs. And for so many of us, we have through survival because we knew somewhere we were different and the world responded to our differences in a way that didn't feel safe physically, emotionally, psychologically. So we did things that kept us safe in our minds and we survived. We people pleased. We worked harder than everybody else so that no one could say we didn't do it perfectly because our self-worth also began to be tied to and safety tied to how we succeeded thought that we have requires energy. Hmm. We got a lot of thoughts, folks. Let's just be real honest. Our beautifully, wonderful, wonderfully wired brains are not those, you know, slower types, the hyperspeed types. We got lots of thoughts. We got lots of energy consumption happening when we think. And we think about all kinds of things. All, I mean, we do mental gymnastics and for so many of us, that's fun. But it's also exhausting when you don't recognize that that's what's happening. And when we talk about our sensory system, when you are in burnout, your sensory profile is different than when you are in Thrive. Hmm. And for 100% of all of the respondents over the last three years to the Mind Your Autistic Brain Burnout Global Research Project, 100% of autistic ADHD people say that they experience heightened sensory sensitivities during burnout. Hmm. And for that reason, we also have to look at where our energy is going out. Everything that I teach is that knowing where energy comes in for you and how to effectively manage the energy that you have is the fastest and most efficient way to get out and stay out of burnout. And it is so critical when we're talking about self-care because I'm alexithymic. So I developed the unveiling method specifically for being able to identify because if it's unmet needs, then what the hell are our needs? We can all name off those top five needs, you know, food, shelter, clothing, financial security, you know, safety, but there's 30 basic human needs that all neurotypes need. And for a lot of us, we've gone our whole life denying the fact that we have needs because that felt like it was too much and a big demand on the people in our life because that was too loud. Or I don't like those clothes or I need this specific food. And we were needy, quote unquote, right, to the rest of the world. But essentially, it was just we needed to get our needs met, but they were so consistently unmet and we didn't feel safe asking for our needs. And a lot of times we didn't even know what our needs were to articulate it. So part of the unveiling method is being able to look at those 30 basic needs and identifying for you right now, what is the, what's the unmet needs? What's the number one? And what's your sensory profile look like right now in burnout? Because it's going to change consistently. It's going to ebb and flow. But we know what that is in all seven areas of your sensory profile, not just five, because interoception, proprioception, and your vestibular, those all factor in, especially for us. Those things make a difference because we can't self-care if we can't identify what it is that we need to self-care in the first place. Yeah. Before Scott takes over, Rebecca needs to bow out for a minute. Becca, do you have anything, last minute things you want to say? Um, you know, it's interesting. I really, I want everyone to really um, take away from with from this sort of the consideration that you want to give to diagnosis. I think I'm glad that it's changing and that we have really embraced self-diagnosis and self-identification. Um, and so I want to encourage folks to know that um, 
it, it, there is no right way to do it, right? No one thing is better than the other. You need to do what's best for you financially, personally, right? All of those things. Um, and that there is no one right path for anybody yeah. down this road. Um, we all make our own. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, uh, Becca. I know you got to go off for now, but thank you so much for being here. And we'll definitely be talking with you soon. Great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Go ahead, Scott. So both Carol Jean and Becca, I couldn't have said it better. Um, something that stuck out in some of the, uh, two people had noted in those responses is giving themselves grace. And especially like, like Becca was talking about this, that first year, you got to get your sea legs. You got to figure out what this thing means and what it means to you. That's part of the learning process. But um, something that uh, I feel really strongly about, and I wrote about this in my book, is um, moving away from generalities when it comes to here are this kind of support needs that I have to being very, very, very specific. And I actually went through a reflection exercise that I did over like a period of a month or two. And every time I needed help, whether I asked for it or not, I made a mental note of that. And I turned that into a list of specific support needs. And just to kind of give you a couple of examples, uh, and we and we heard this from from Carol, uh, Carol Jean. Uh, I need time and space to recharge before and after social engagements, whatever they are. That gives some that gives others something very tangible, and it gives me that ability to communicate. This is what I need. Other than just leave me alone. Mm. No, the, being very specific helps everybody, and and. Uh, another one is scheduling appointments for me. I hate it. Fortunately, my wife doesn't mind. She does that for me 90% plus of the time. But it, from, from my humble estimation, regardless of how many support needs one has, whether it's something that we may not even uh, see as a support need like glasses or food we depend upon others for food all the way up to needing 24 7 care by a skilled professional every everybody has something uh, some set of support needs that can be articulated very concretely and i think one of the one of the things that um is still problematic in the community is using generalities when it comes to support uh, like and, and you know you hear people talk about hitting milestones of like reading or socializing or whatever and so you need therapy for that no what what is what is not happening that is causing distress for that person that they need support with focus on that and not about this is what I think you should do in general terms. And, and I, don't, I don't know if that made any sense or not, but I think if we spend the time, like Carol Jean was talking about, we spend the time and articulate those and refine that list. This is a living document. Refine that list over time. That way we, 
the world is a better place because people can see and know exactly what each individual needs because nobody's the same. No, no. And, and, and some autistics have additional disabilities, including, well, you know, autism and that sort of thing. So um, I would say that the periods following your diagnosis is definitely a period of, of self-exploration and self-understanding that you probably didn't have before. After this final commercial break, we are going to talk about one specific response that we got on the survey with some advice for those whose lives may have fallen completely apart after diagnosis identification. Immediately following that, today's Autistic Community Bulletin Board. Support comes from Minnesota Independence College and Community, a life and career skills program for young adults with autism and learning differences. Help a young adult take a step towards their independence and a vibrant life. Learn more at micommunity.org. On August 20th, Robert Bob Schmutz joins me to talk about autistics transitioning to adulthood. This is a special show for autistics going through the transition into adulthood. You have gone through your years in school and being looked after by your parents and caregivers. There are some major changes that occur as you become an adult. Many programs that are in place to assist autistics transition to adulthood are not adequate to meet their needs. Robert is a mental health professional who works with adolescents who are autistic. Robert will join me to talk about his work to help autistics transition to adulthood. The fall season begins with Lisa Morgan returning to today's autistic moment to talk about suicide prevention for autistic adults. According to a study by Cassidy et al. in 2018, 66% of newly diagnosed autistic adults experience suicidal ideation. That is 17% higher than the general population. There are many reasons why autistic adults experience suicidal ideation. Lisa understands firsthand what being in a state of crisis is for autistics. Lisa is an autistic adult and a life coach for autistics who find themselves in crisis situations. It is so important for autistic adults and their caregivers to listen to this episode. You just might save someone's life. Dr. Devin Price comes back on September 17th to talk about conflict resolution. Autistic adults face more conflict than just about any group of people. Our challenges with verbal and nonverbal communication, finding our social support networks and that understand us, and dealing daily with our disabilities can burn us out. 
Autistics Need Strategies for Conflict Resolution. Join my guest, Dr. Devin Price, as he helps us understand where our conflicts come from and how we can work towards resolving them. On October 1st, Nick Walker will be my special guest for Neuroqueer, Another Coming Out. October 11th is National Coming Out Day for LGBTQIA people. There is another group of people coming out that needs to be recognized for who we are and celebrated. Nick Walker is the author of Neuroqueer Heresies, Notes on the Neurodiversity Paradigm, Autistic Empowerment, and Postnormal Possibilities. According to Nick Walker, being not neurodivergent means having a mind that functions in ways which diverge significantly from the dominant societal standards of normal. It is from definitions like this that we get the word neuroqueer. Nick Walker will talk about what neuroqueer is and why it is important that we be recognized as coming out as our own unique people. Check out the future shows page on todaysautisticmoment.com for all upcoming shows. Do you have any ideas for future episodes of Today's Autistic Moment? Go to the Contact Us page on todaysautisticmoment.com and submit your topic suggestions. Go to the page for Be My Guest to submit a guest intake form if you would like to be a guest. Thank you for listening to today's Autistic Moment. up to the end of this there was one response to the survey that i definitely want us to answer because this this particular response was disturbing um my last question on the survey was you know has your life gotten better or worse since your diagnosis and there was as i say there's this one response in here that i'm just going to read it um for those before i do um every Everybody who took this survey is anonymous. There's no names or anything. But this particular uh, participant wrote, my life is so much worse. I have lost my job, although it's taken 10 years of persistent bullying and micromanagement to get me this far. My life, my friends set me boundaries and I can't maintain them. I get to blame for being too needy, too oversensitive, etc." I am alone. I have no reason to continue to exist. Um, and before I let you two go with this, first of all, my first piece of advice is seek out Lisa Morgan at autismcrisissupports.com because Lisa knows firsthand what it means to be unintentionally harmed by well-meaning professionals and well-meaning people. Um, but here's one of those things that I can definitely, I can definitely 
identify with, maybe the two of you can too, but when you're first diagnosed, you, you, you know, it's like having the scales fall off your eyes, but at the same time, you're having to reorganize your life, the things you can do, the things you can't do, the things you can succeed at, maybe things that you can't. And I, there, this is not the first person to say, I found out I'm autistic and I've lost a job. I've lost friends. I've had friends that, you know, have given me some really negative uh, replies. Yeah, I, we know what that means. But, um, you know, um, I, we're not going to minimize how this person feels because that won't help them. But we are going to say that this doesn't have to be your ending. You can pick up and move on, but we all want to give you a little bit of advice about how to do that. So let's say this is not the only person saying my life is so much worse. Um, let's give them some, some feedback. Um, I want to start with Scott and then go to Carol Jean, if that's all right with you. Go ahead. Go ahead, Scott. Okay. Okay. Um, th this one's a tough one. Um, as, as a paramedic, I have personally been witness to many situations that have ended not so well. So I, I've seen, I've seen this from a perspective that most don't uh, see it. So, and something that has bothered me for, for a long time now, and especially now that I know I'm autistic and what that means, and uh, especially when it comes to feeling ostracized and not worthy and that sort of stuff, is we keep seeing people wanting to stop others from thinking about hurting themselves or suicide or, or, you know, that sort of thing. But yet the reverse isn't addressed very often, which is what are we doing that makes them feel this way? Yes, I agree. And, and that's the part that, you know, when we get to suicide prevention month, we talk about, we got to stop people from doing this. There comes a point in time where you have to look in the mirror and go, what am I doing that makes others feel this way? And I think it comes down to, and this isn't all inclusive, but be kind, be empathetic, be supportive to everybody, whether you agree with them, whether you have things in common, it doesn't matter. If somebody needs help, help them. I. Sorry, I'm kind of, th this is one that's, because so much emphasis is put on the person who feels that way versus society that's making them feel that way, it gets me angry. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, yeah, go ahead, and, Carol, Jean. Well, Sorry, go ahead, Carol. Then I have another thought. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so, so uh, now I think I lost my thoughts. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> go ahead, Carol. It'll come to me. If it comes back, just hop in. You know, this is one of the many reasons that you and I are such good friends, Scott, because of your heart. Thank you. So I'm going to talk about this from a very personal place. 
I have experienced suicidal ideations, going so far as to have plans and even attempts in my life since the age of six. And for so long, because that was part of what would come up for me, number one, it was very shameful. I felt ashamed. I felt guilty. I felt like I didn't deserve to even have those thoughts because I had a wonderful family and I had everything that I could possibly need. What, what could be so bad that I would feel this way? So I internalized that as being my fault, my honest and agency. And that's a heavy weight to bear. And for so many of us, when we don't know the identity of our neurotype, and when I say that, I'm also, I'm talking about all of us, not just our brain. It is also our body, our physiology that is different. So I also have the trifecta, the co-occurring conditions that are very common within our neurotype. I have POTS and MCAS and I have hypermobility and all other sorts of things that come with those. And so we can't look at just why are we having these thoughts and then believing that this is something wrong with us because we think that way. When I look at and within the research that I do within how we in our neurotype experience burnout, and I talk about the warning signs. One of the warning signs that comes up in all levels of burnout from a level one poblano pepper all the way up to that level five ghost pepper is that suicidal ideation and those feelings of worthlessness come up. And it can be really scary. They can be a very scary place when those thoughts pop in your head and then you're almost taken aback, like, wait a minute, why am I thinking that? Why am I feeling that? And you layer in alexithymia and, and processing time differences and all sorts of things that we experience. And this can be sort of like the perfect storm. And it can be a very lonely and scary place to be. First of all, I want to tell you, you aren't alone, even though you may feel it. You have a community that does understand and is here to support you. Please reach out to one of us. Please reach out to someone local. Talk to someone. And then when I say talk, I mean you can text them. You can however you want to communicate. But within that, I also want to bring a level of awareness to the fact that in all of... I. I've had over a million people in the last few years in 93 different countries participate in this research. And it goes back to the real heart behind those thoughts is not that I actually want to take action. You know, that does happen. So I'm not saying that doesn't, but the original feeling is I just need things to stop. I need to hit pause. I need relief from the demand, the overwhelming mm -hmm. feeling that I have to do and emit so much and I feel like I have nothing to give. My energy tank is not just empty, it's not just running on fumes, it is now starting to suck in because it's being drained beyond its capacity. And understanding that about that escape, that parachute that our brain goes to and know that it's not you. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, Scott, did you catch up with that? Well, I, I was just going to say what you, that last thing you said triggered my memory about the other thought that I had, which is, um, suicide is, is like, it's, it's the last resort. We've mm. tried every other avenue to alleviate this distress that we're experiencing and 
again, this is just one of my my personal perspectives about suicide is when we talk about we've got to end suicide, we got to stop people, but we're not addressing the other part of why have they been pushed to this point. We're also adding insult to injury by criminalizing uh, suicide, by shaming it, um, by telling people you shouldn't want to have to die or these sorts of things. We're now removing agency. We're taking away their decision to have control over themselves. And I I think that's inhumane. I agree. Yeah. Well, um, to finish this particular matter off, I just want to tell my audience that coming on September, September 3rd, uh, Lisa Morgan is coming back to talk about suicide prevention for autistic adults. Um, Lisa Morgan is, is, is the perfect individual to talk about this because she has uh, dealt with suicide in her own family and in herself. And uh, she's created this momentous uh, work about autism crisis support. Um, as we say, as we say, you know, the thing is, is when you're, realizing who you are and you try to talk to people you have well-meaning people who just who who unintentionally harm you and it's it's so difficult to work through those things my last piece of advice as we get ready to to close this out is to say that no you are not alone there are many other autistic people such as yourself you just have to kind of sort of find the resources as to who to reach out to And in doing so, I want to direct anybody who is having any problems, uh, any situations that you need to um, need to work work through. Please go to my adult autism resources links page where I've got over 100 different links where you can find something, someone you can find uh, Carol Jean, you can find Lisa Morgan, you can find Becca Lori Hector, you can find whomever you want to find. And please go to those uh, those resources and, and, and search around. Um, you know, and the thing is, is that, uh, I think both Carol, Jean and Scott can also, uh, understand what I say when, when you do discover that you are autistic, you kind of need to start building your own social support networks of people who are like you. And I agree, they're not the simplest to find, but I know where you can find them on LinkedIn. <laughs> anyway, um, anyway, um. And that, that, that's just one of those places where there's so many of us on there. And um, I think I've come to understand why. And that is because on LinkedIn, because it's a, it's a social network that works on professional relationships. We don't exactly have to worry about all the negative commenting that often occurs on Facebook well past what we can usually take. Um, so, so indeed do look those up. Um, First of all, I want to say thank you to, to both Beck, to Becca, Carol, Jean, and Scott for this. But I'd like to end this by saying to those of you who have not gone through the process of being uh, going through a diagnosis and or identification, um, we do have a crisis in this country of, uh, of, of um, clinicians who can do the diagnosis. We have especially for adults. Uh, we do have a crisis there. And yes, the 
broken medical system is not medical care system is not helpful there. But there are places where you can uh, do some self-diagnosis. There is no shame in doing a self-diagnosis. We want to make that clear. Um, and the thing is, is that, you know, you can find those resources. As I say, my adult autism resources links page is one of them. Carol Jean has this magnificent mind or autistic brain. There is our good friend, Jamie A. Heidel, the articulate autistic who can give you more than an many answers, but you know, <laughs> we both know, we all know uh, Jamie A. Heidel, who, who's just a mountain of information. But the thing is, is that um, I think, I think, I think in, in finishing this out, you have nothing to be ashamed of if you're, you discover you're autistic. There is no shame in that. There, the only thing that is shameful, to be quite uh, blunt, is the fact that society looks at you as a medical disaster. Okay. Um, one of the goals of today's autistic moment and those of us who are working so hard is that we want to make um, the clear statement that we are not disordered. We are not really sick. We are not poor little things. And I, I'm sure both of you get plenty of that too. But, you know, the thing is, is we do have strengths, momentous strengths and abilities that are often um, downplayed, unfortunately. But, um, and I can also speak for myself and I'm sure the others can too. When you do arrive at a place where you've accepted yourself and where you have a grip on who you are, you will find a happiness and a, a self-energy that you never knew you had. I think both of you can agree on that. So, yeah. Awareness so, is empowerment. Absolutely, so. absolutely. What are you gonna say, Scott? Go ahead. I, I was just agreeing, it's very empowering. Yeah, I agree. So with that, I'm gonna say thank you to everybody for being here today. And um, wow, what a great discussion. And I can't wait uh, for the responses of our audience. So thanks so much. Today's Autistic Community Bulletin Board. All of these events with their links can be found at todaysautisticmoment.com forward slash bulletin board. Join the Autism Society of Minnesota for their adult coffee club. The next coffee clubs will be on Tuesday nights from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. at Dogwood Coffee in St. Paul on August 8th, August 22nd, September 12th, and September 26th. Coffee club meetings will be at the Milkweed Cafe in Minneapolis on August 14th from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Please RSVP at AUSM. Org. Understanding Autism virtual classes will be offered by the Autism Society of Minnesota. These classes are perfect for autistic individuals, caregivers, those who want to understand the basics of autism and support autistic people. Classes will be on August 21st from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. October 23rd, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. And December 18th, from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Classes are free of charge, but you must register to attend. 
Registration is open for the fall classes for Autism Direct Support Certification at the Autism Society of Minnesota. The certification is especially helpful for autistic people to better understand themselves. I took these classes in 2018 and it helped me to better understand myself and other autistic people. These classes are ideal for job coaches, support staff, personal care attendants, PCAs, EIDBI Tier 3 providers, educational aides, direct support personnel, group home staff, day training and habilitation professionals, and anyone who works directly with autistic people. Classes will be held on Fridays beginning 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. on September 15th, 22nd, 29th, October 6th, and 13th. Please register soon for these classes as they fill up very quickly. For more information about activities, education, and training opportunities at the Autism Society of Minnesota, go to AUSM.org. You are invited to Minnesota Independence College and Community's 6th Annual Independence 5K Run One Mile Walk on Saturday, October 1st at Donaldson Park in Richfield, Minnesota. Check-in registration will be at 9 a.m. The race walk will be at 10 a.m. Go to micommunity.org for more information. Matthew, the hashtag actually autistic coach, has room in his Finding Your Autistic Self group coaching groups. In the groups, participants learn about unmasking strategies, coping tools, burnout and post-burnout support, and much more. Go to AutisticCoach.com and click on Autism Groups for more information. While visiting Matthew's website, be sure to check out the free Autistic Discussion Circles for Autistics of various age groups, careers, students, and ethnic groups. Today's Autistic Moment is sponsored in part by Looking Forward Life Coaching. Looking Forward turns stumbling blocks into stepping stones towards success. Go to lookingforwardlc.org for more information. Today's Autistic Moment is here because of the generosity of the supporters and sponsors. Please join the supporters by clicking on Support Today's Autistic Moment on todaysautisticmoment.com. If you work for a company and or organization that supports autistic adults and the movement for neurodiversity, I would love to have you sponsor ads on the show. If you would like to sponsor an ad and or have questions about Today's Autistic Moment, please send an email to todaysautisticmoment at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Today's Autistic Moment, a podcast for autistic adults by an autistic adult. May you have an autistically amazing day. All of the guests meet with me on Zoom to record the interviews. The podcast is created and prepared on Spotify for podcasters. The music that you hear is licensed to Today's Autistic Moment by PremiumBeat.com.